What is up? And welcome back to episode 20, a milestone episode, episode 20 of the Wizards podcast. I'm your host, Greg Finberg. And today we got, you know, multitude of topics. The last month or so has been exclusively trade deadline, exclusively uh, building up to, to February 8th, a day that we all thought would be filled with trades for the Wizards. And in actuality, it was filled with a singular move, which was Daniel Gafford getting sent to the Mavericks. So this this is the first episode in a while that won't be too much about the trade deadline. Uh, we're going to talk about how the Wizards have lost seven straight, but you know these kind of feel better than the losses under the old head coach. I'm going to give my analysis on on Brian Keefe and what I think he's done overall. You know, give an assessment of his of his time here in DC as of now. Going to talk about Jordan Poole. Um, you know, obviously not a fun topic to talk about. He's been really bad, excuse me, exclusively in the last couple of games. But, you know, to be honest, overall throughout the year, he's been really bad. So we're going to talk about Poole. Then the Athletic, Josh Robbins dropped a really great article on Kuzma and the trade deadline. Going to get my thoughts on that, as well as ending off with the move to Virginia. Apparently, you know, hitting a crossroads. Uh, kind of give you an update on that to keep you informed and also give a little bit of my thoughts as to the time frame and, and the decision process and that as well. So, you know, just kind of jumping right into things. Look, the Wizards have lost seven games in a row. Obviously, obviously not ideal in terms of you you don't ever want to to lose that many games in a row. Ideal for the tank, obviously, because the Wizards are attempting to, you know, bring everything together at a, at, at a later date. You know, not necessarily have to have everything mesh right now. You know, stack the losses, try to get that top three pick secured, do everything you can to get a high draft pick, even though this, this draft class is considered to be, you know, lesser than most. So, look, obviously um, not ideal in terms of losing seven straight, but, you know, under, under Brian Keith, these losses have felt better. Than they did under Wes Unsell Jr. You know, you weren't going into the game. Then after the first quarter, you're throwing in Anthony Gills and and you know end of the bench guys that don't play at all because the game's out of reach. I really don't think we've had any of that garbage time. You know, fourth quarter we're already throwing in the white flag like we did so many times this season under Brian Keefe, and and that really, I feel like that really shows something. You know, the Wizards under Wes Unsell Jr. they just weren't it and. And obviously the roster wasn't good enough, and, and you can't blame West for that. You got to feel a little bit bad. But at the same time, Brian Keefe's got the same fucking roster, and he's got these guys competing in Boston. He's got them leading by double digits in Boston, double digits in Dallas, you know, competing with teams, you know, like the Knicks, uh, teams like, you know, Denver for the most part, Minnesota, they had a big lead. You know, like he he doesn't appear to be – I would say, you know, lost. And he doesn't seem like this new promotion is getting to him. The defense is is has been so much improved since Brian Keefe took over. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the ball movement of this team, the effort. I mean, if you lot if you watched the game last night at Dallas, at the time of recording this, it was last night. We had multiple times where guys were diving on loose balls. There was a possession where Bilal dove on the on the floor for a ball. It got away from him, and then you saw Rashawn Holmes with the ball probably out of reach, dive head first into into the bleachers, um, and try to save it himself. I mean, that type of effort is something we didn't see under Wes, and that could have been because the Wizards were just kind of fed up. It's you know we're not going to win anything this year. That effort is kind of eluding us, but at the same time, 
the the effort like that wasn't there to start the year. Um, and so that's why that's why it's so important that that the Wizards, you know, get out here and really and really just go go for those balls. You know, you're a young team. You want to see that type of effort. You want to see the compete and the competitiveness from this group. And I feel like we've gotten all that a lot more under Brian Keefe than we have under Wes Unsell Jr. Um, I, I think Brian Keefe, I believe his first game he took over was against the Jazz at home, um, which was a lopsided loss. Um, you know, obviously not the best start to his tenure um, with, with the Wizards. Um, but, you know, then he won two straight games. He won at, at the Pistons and at the Spurs. They're the two other worst teams in the league. Don't get me wrong. And a lot of people, when I was, you know, praising Brian Keefe on picking up those road wins, were like, it's the fucking Pistons and it's the fucking Spurs. Like, they're terrible. Why are you giving this guy praise? Here's why. Because a week prior, Wes Unso Jr.'s group lost at home by double digits to the Pistons and, and blew a double-digit fourth-quarter lead to lose at home to the Spurs. And then Brian Keefe goes and beats those same teams away from home. And does so against the Spurs... Uh, with a comfort-behind win in the fourth quarter, does so against the Pistons with a comfort-behind win. Brian Keefe has made these adjustments. He's beaten these teams that Wes couldn't, and he has these guys competing. And when you're when you're a coach for a rebuilding team, even an interim coach, that's all you can ask for as fans. We don't we don't necessarily need or want, honestly, this team to keep you know stacking win after win after win. But not only are there games that they should win that we've seen them win under Brian Keefe. But the games that they're not supposed to win, they're not getting blown out of the water in the first half. They're leading at Boston by, what was it, 14 points? You know, they had a, a double-digit lead in the third quarter. Obviously, they, they blew it, but they had a chance to win at the end at Boston, the best team in the league. They were just up by 10 entering the fourth in Dallas. And yes, they fell apart, but partly because, you know, Poole and Kuz disappeared Partly because, you know, the Mavericks just, they have those guys. They have Luka and Kyrie, and you can't contain them for four quarters. You can maybe do it for three, but it's hard enough to do it for all four. And they got going, and Tatum and Brown and KP got going. And the Wizards, they don't have that guy yet, and that's okay. That's why we're rebuilding. That's that's who we're searching for. Um, But nonetheless, under Brian Keefe, things have just been better in so many statistical categories. And look, the record is not great for Brian Keefe. Lost the first game, won the next two. Since then, he's lost seven straight. So he's 2-8 and eight in 10 games as the Wizards head coach, losing seven in a row. But the seven the seven losses, apart from the Jazz, the seven losses in a row have been against some really good teams. You know, he, he lost to, to the Jazz, and then he lost to the Clippers, the Heat, the Suns, the Cavs, the Celtics, the Sixers, and the Mavericks. And the only blowout of those entire of the of all those games is the Suns at home when the Wizards played absolutely zero defense and Kuz didn't play that game, but still, that was that was just a bad game. But apart from that, I feel like they've competed in every single game they've been in. And the results might not be there. And if you look at it from face value and see, this guy's 2-8 and eight since taking over, he sucks. Yeah, you can be a box score merchant. You can be, you know, a box score watcher. And if that's all you care about and that's what you're looking at, then I don't, I don't really value your opinion. If I'm being, I don't want to be rude, but if you're just looking at Brian Keefe's record with the roster that he's been given... And the, tough, and the difficult task he got taking over this team in season, and you think he's not been good in his time here, then you're wrong. And and that's the end of, that's the bottom line. Brian Keefe has done a hell of a job. He has these guys competing. He has them playing hard for him, playing hard for the guy next to them. And he has them in games late. And, and that's all you can ask. You don't want this rebuilding group to get blown out in every game. That's not how they're going to learn. 
They're going to learn when the game is close in Dallas and you got Bilal guarding guarding Luka down the stretch, making clutch plays, getting rebounds, doing everything he can. You got Denny isolating late in the game, taking it to the basket, scoring clutch baskets, knowing what it takes to win games down the stretch on the road. You're not going to learn anything when you play back-to-back games in Cleveland earlier in the season and the scrubs like Omar Rui and Butler are getting thrown into the game with 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. You don't learn like that. You learn being in close games in Boston and in Dallas and, and competing. And Brian Keefe has this group doing that. So, honestly, I don't I don't understand the, the flack he's gotten. Obviously, the group that he has taken over with is not an, an easy group to get wins with in this league. But at the end of the day, I think he's done as good as he can do. And I think, you know, if he keeps this up and, and the team competes throughout the rest of the regular season and he's and he's got the backing of, of like, Coos and Poole and, and, honestly, every single person on the team – Come the offseason, I don't know why you wouldn't give him another chance. What do you have to lose? You're not going to be good next year and probably not the year after either. So you might as well see what you got with Brian Keith before moving on. Um, and, th- and that's kind of my thoughts on Brian. I think he's done a hell of a job. And, and if you don't, then I, I just I, I flat out disagree with you. And, and that moves us that moves us forward to a, a part of this that I that I obviously dreaded talking about because it's it's not fun talking about the struggles of players, especially on your team. But at a certain point, you, you know, you're hurting yourself if, if you're not, if you're not actively talking about, about some of these players and, and how they're playing badly. You can't just sit here and tell me Jordan Poole is good. Jordan Poole has been good this season. Jordan Poole can be good. All of that. No, he, he's been really bad. And, and if you're saying anything other than that, if you're putting the blame on, you know, outside things or, you know, the acclimatation of, of him getting to a new city and, and you know, trying to find himself, you can pin it on whatever you want. But the bottom line is he's been bad. Flat out. He's been terrible. Um, I'm just going to read off some of his regular season stats, his averages, and then I'm going to read you off the stats of each of his last five games. Because, look, whenever I say Jordan Poole isn't playing well and he hasn't been good this year, I got a bunch of pool stands that come at me saying, you know, you never talk like this about Danny or you never talk about like this about Coos or anybody else. I mean, number one, I do all the time. There's not a singular player that I like more than the other. Um, I have to give, you know, fair analysis. And I obviously don't want to talk like this about Jordan Poole. It's not fun. I want to be talking about how Jordan Poole is averaging 25 points on efficient splits. But the Wizards are losing and Jordan Poole isn't helping that at all. So you have to talk about it. This season, Jordan Poole is averaging in 51 games played, and he started in every game he's played. In 30 minutes per game, 15.6 points, 2.4 rebounds, 3.6 assists, a steal a game, and he's shooting less than 40% at 39.9% from the field, less than 30% from three, 86% from the free throw line, which is great. So he's shooting less than 40% from the field and less than 30% from three. Horribly inefficient for a guy, you know, that we hoped would come in here and improve those efficiencies. Has never really been an efficient three-point shooter. I think at his peak, he was shooting 35% from three. So that's not something that I'm really, like, harping on. He needs to, you know, he, his percentage should have been ab- above 40. No, he was never an efficient shooter from three. It was the volume that he was getting and the looks that he was getting that probably helped him out. But his stats this year... I mean, people thought, myself included, I'll put my hand up and, and I'll take accountability, thought he'd be getting 10 more points per game than he is. I thought he'd be a lot more efficient. I thought he'd be shooting above 40%. I thought he'd be shooting above 30% from three. But he hasn't. It, flat out, he's been bad. And and 
a lot of people have asked me, you know, what is the solution with Jordan Poole? What, what is the best approach with him? Do we trade him? Do we honestly just, you know, buy him out and, and cut our losses so every, so other guys like Bilal can take his spot and get his minutes? Do we just eat the contract and, and hopefully he develops? You know, a lot of these are fair points and things that you have to consider. As, a, as for the trade talks, I mean, number one, I don't think anybody wants Jordan Poole right now. He might be, and this sucks to say, but he might be the worst contract in the league. I mean, paying someone $30 million per year to average 15 points out of inefficient clips and not play defense, that that is probably one of the worst contracts in the league. Um, if you got any other bad contracts, let me know. But it seems like the Wizards have another, yet another bad contract on their hands. They had Johns, they had Russell, Russ Westbrooks, they had Bradley Beals, and now they have they, they have Jordan Poole for another three years after this. So I don't think a trade is feasible, not just because he's not playing well and nobody really wants him, but that contract, that contract's going to be brutal to take on for any team. Um, they're not going to cut him either. That just makes no sense. I think the most po- the most feasible thing, and this is what I said from the start when he was struggling, you just gotta let him play through it and hope that he finds, you know, he finds himself and he finds, you know, what works. He's a career sixth man. He started some games with Steph out, but when fully healthy, he was a sixth man and he played that role extremely well as a volume scorer off the bench. Now he's coming into a new role in DC, and I feel like he's forcing it a bit. I feel like. These coverages are getting to him. It's not as easy for him, and he's got to he's got to adjust. Um, and I feel like he hasn't done a good job at that. And and hopefully an off season where he can you know digest the film, digest the first season as that go to option alongside Kuz, and really you know dive into how how can I beat these coverages? How can I figure it out when I'm playing against the best you know defenses possible, the best defenders on me? I think I think maybe you have something there, but but for right now. You just got to let him play through it. And, and do we move him to a six-man role? Look, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I feel like it, it's an ego thing maybe at this point in terms of you don't really want to, you know, move this guy that's making $30 million, supposed to entering the season be one of your star players, and you're going to move him to a six-man role. Like, I, I don't know how Jordan would take that. I don't I don't know if the organization is necessarily looking for that. Um, but, look, it, w- it would open up more minutes. I would assume he goes to the bench. Corey starts. I feel like Corey's played obviously so much better than Poole this year. Based on performance is the deserving starter over Poole at the shooting guard position. But I think in terms of how much Poole's getting paid and how much, you know, they they're hoping that he turns into, you know, a cornerstone of this rebuild, that they're just gonna keep hammering it with with him in the starting lineup and hope it works out. Um I mean if it was me personally, you know, I would try something new. And it doesn't have to be a permanent move, but, you know, moving Poole to the bench as a six-man, you can still give him 30 minutes a game. But at the same time, if you, you know, it's not working right now. And if you just keep going through the motions and, and you're still seeing the bad results that, you're, that you've been seeing, I don't know how you can really sit here and just take it. I don't know how you can just sit there and say, you know what, we just got to gotta hope and pray that he turns into something. I think you got to be proactive here. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to end this just by reading off some of the stats because it, it is, it is pretty jarring to, to hear some of these numbers. This is dating back to the Suns game where the Wizards lost by 28 Poole shot one for seven from the floor, including zero of three from three in route to a four point performance. It was a minus 16 from the field. The next game, uh, home against Cleveland, the Wizards lost by eight. He sc- scored, um, zero points, which is, 
you know, probably the worst performance of the season was a minus four, you know, oh five from the field, oh four from three, just an overall really bad game. Fouled out as well with six personal fouls. Uh, you move on to the Boston game where he had a great first half. Um, I think he scored 19 in the first half, and then he didn't make a shot in the second half, didn't score a point in the second half, finished with 19, an inefficient 19 at that, shooting 7 of 19, 3 of 10 from 3, just not good. And then you move on to Philadelphia where he went 4 of 8, 50%, which is great, um, You know, scored 11 points, but obviously the volume isn't there. So you're seeing, you know, he's efficient when he doesn't shoot that big of a volume of shots. And I'm assuming that's because he's picking and choosing his spots the right way. But then you get to the point where, okay, Jordan, we kind of need a little more from you if you're going to be that starting guy making $30 million. You can't be taking only eight shots a game. You got to be more efficient, but you also got to take more shots. He was a plus three in that game, and he was a plus four in Dallas. So he's not. He's, it's not like he's really, you know, hurting the team too much. You know, they're still better with him on than off in the last couple of games. He's a plus in the last three games he's played, but, you know, offensively, he's not putting that output in. And then you get to to um, Monday night at Dallas in the eight-point loss, one of 12 from the field, 8.3% field goal percentage. Only shot he made was a three in the second half, which is one of six for 16% from three. Finished with three points, four fouls, um, you know, three assists, six rebounds, plus four on the night, so contributing in other facets, but, you know, still – He's a scorer, and and the scoring is inefficient. It's hurting the team with some of the bad shots he's taking. Kills the momentum sometimes when, you know, the Wizards are on a run. He pulls up for a terrible shot in transition, usually that transition three that drives me insane. So, look, it is so it is, it is incredibly frustrating, obviously, to see Jordan Poole, you know, struggle and to see the Wizards just kind of go through the motions. But when you're rebuilding, it's not, it's not the end of the world to, you know, see your team put some trust in, in Poole and hope that, that you know, he figures it out because that's honestly the only solution. If I'm if I'm being honest here, you got to hope that Jordan Poole figures it out at some point because if he does it, you know you're just going to be paying him twenty six million to thirty million for the next three years and and hopefully when this rebuild you know is over and we're and we're competing, he he probably won't be a part of this team unless you know he figures it out. So that brings me to the 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 third point of the of this pod, which is the article that. Joshua Robbins of The Athletic um, posted today, which by the time I'm recording this, this is uh, Tuesday, uh, February 13th. I advise everyone to go to The Athletic. I don't know if you pay for it or not, but it is behind a paywall. But if you do have it, I'd, I'd encourage you to read Josh's article. It's it's so well written and it has so many fun you know, tidbits and, and just facts about you know what actually happened at the deadline, why the Wizards were as quiet as they were. And, and probably the biggest takeaway from that from that episode is the fact that uh, Josh mentions Kuz uh, actually was, you know, there's a trade in place to send Kyle Kuzma to the Dallas Mavericks. Um, you know, the trade was fully worked out. The Mavericks gave us an offer, gave the Wizards an offer, and Michael Winger and Will Hawkins, you know, contemplated over it. And at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure, based on the article, the offer didn't blow Winger away. Didn't blow Dawkins away. They weren't like, holy shit, I need to take this. And I would assume it's because Dallas only had one tradable first-round pick, which was the 2027 pick that they sent for P.J. Washington. But I would assume, you know, it wasn't enough. And and they were like, look, if you if you don't want to be here, Kuz, we might as well know now so we can just take this and move on with it. And I, I completely respect what they did. Uh, Josh says that. Um, you know, they called Kuz in and Winger showed Kuzma the deal that was in place. And he said, look, 
if you want to go and you don't want to be in DC for this rebuild and you want to go compete and chase a ring, I want to facilitate that for you for all you've done for this organization. Um, you know, just trying to build that culture, um, you know, and just really respect the players and have them, you know, bring them to the table as well instead of just throwing, you know, all right, we're going to trade you and not telling them, which is what often happens. And and so I respect Winger doing that. He told Kuz, you know, what do you want to do basically? Do you want to go to Dallas and this is the trade that we'll accept? Or do you really see yourself, you know, staying throughout this rebuild? How committed are you? You know, all that stuff. And I, I guess at the end of the day, Kuz was like, you know, I want to be loyal. I, I really believe in what we're building in D.C. Um, and, and and I want to stay and I don't want to go to Dallas. And look, that could mean a multitude of things. Uh, it could mean that Kuz thought the Mavs were not good enough. They weren't really in that title contention position. And he didn't want to get traded to a team like Dallas that, you know, maybe, you know, used him for this year, maybe next year. And then they're already looking to move him to another team. Um, he wanted to be probably be in a place where, you know, he felt wanted and he felt like, you know, he was an integral part of that, re of the rebuild. And I saw a lot of comments like, nah, Kuz just wants 20 shots a game. He just wants to be the star of a team. And those are entirely true. Those could be true, I should say, as well. You know, it is possible that Kuz doesn't want to go back to being that third option like he was on the Lakers or that fourth option. You know, he likes being that focal point of the offense. He likes being that guy that people pay to pay to see when they come to Wizards games. And and I, I get that that's fair as well. I mean, you got your money. Everyone kind of wants that, that, that stardom, that, that, um, you know, that comes with being that number one or number two option. You know, he wants that shot at the end of the game. And I respect that. So it could also be, it can entirely be a thing about, you know, I want to be that guy in DC and I don't want to be that third or fourth guy on a championship team, which is fair as well. Um, and I, I think it also, I saw a lot of comments that it could have been because Winger didn't really like the deal in the first place. That's why he was like, look, if you really want this, I'll do it, but I'm not going to do it otherwise. Um, and that's that. That's what Josh basically said. I mean, the the move didn't really entice Winger, I would assume, and not Kuz as well. Um, so at the end of the day, I just think this not only speaks volumes about the character of the guys that we have in the front office, you know, that level of transparency and communication between front office and player is something that, you know, every organization hopes to achieve. Uh, you know, having that synergy and that communication and that connection from the top to the bottom, that's what Winger stressed when he got here. And I think that's, you know, he, he's showing that. His actions are speaking. You know, he didn't have to tell Kuz that anything. He, could, he didn't have to have him, um, you know, voice his opinion on what he wanted to do. But he did. And I'm sure Kuz truly appreciates that. And I'm sure when we're trying to recruit free agents here and Kuz is at the lead of that and he tells them, look, this is what my GM did for me. This is the type of people that we have in this organization. They'll take care of you. They'll look out for you. It's a player first organization. All of those things are something I'd love to hear as a player um, and something that would entice me to go to an, an organization like the Wizards that would hopefully at that time, you know, be on the rise and, and be in contention um, and in a good spot to contend, you know, hopefully down the line. So. I, I just think it's pure class from, from the Wizards. I, I can't tell you the last time I said that um, from Winger and from Dawkins. Just happy that they are, you know, that's being reported about the team that I root for instead of, you know, outside teams and, and me hoping that that one day is me. Um, That actually is what we have right now. That camaraderie, um, you know, that respect factor um, and that synergy between player and front office, which is just so awesome to see. So, you know, from every front, I, I really enjoyed it. I, it shows that Kuz wants to be here. It shows, you know, he's loyal to the Wizards. Um, 
and it shows that you know he he truly trusts Swinger and Dawkins to build something here, and feels like you know. I want to be a part of that. I don't want to go to Dallas and maybe win a ring and be out by two or three years on a new team. I want to kind of see this through in Washington. I feel like we have a good structure, and I feel like taking the long road and the patient route here is going to benefit me, you know, long term than just taking a short term ring chasing move like the Mavs. So, you know, I just I love that story from our fronts. Obviously, you know, go to theathletic.com. You can go to Josh Robbins' Twitter. I think it's at Joshua B. Robbins. He posted a link to the article. Go read it. It's a very good piece by, by Josh. Great tidbits on Kuz and the whole process there. Talked about Tyus as well. So I would definitely check that out. And then the final part that I, wanted, that I just want to touch on is the um supposedly a p- impending move to D.C. or Sorry, impending move from D.C. to Virginia for uh, Monumental Sports. Teleontis moving the Wizards and the Capitals to that location in, in um Virginia. And, and it Apparently hit a crossroads uh, the other day. I believe this story was posted on Monday. Um, and it was a great article via the the Associated Press that basically, you know, said that the bill, although the bill passed today in the Senate um, or it passed to move to the Senate today in the Senate. Senator L. Luis Lucas, who apparently holds a great sway in the General Assembly, uh, she's the chair of the Senate Finances and Operations Committee. Um, the article said that um, the legislation is, uh, quote, not ready for prime time. That's what Miss um, Lucas said. And um, she said that it would not receive a hearing in her committee, which is apparently huge. Um, and then uh, Ms. Lucas was asked um, if the deal was dead. And she said, as far as I'm concerned, it is dead. Um, all this via the Associated Press, by the way. So, you know, I don't. Like I said, when this all like came out, I didn't really offer my my comments just because I'm not fr- I'm from New Jersey. I'm not from that the DMV area. I I don't feel like I'm I'm obligated to talk about it. I feel like it's better served for people that live there that did live there uh, previously and don't live there now. You know, people that genuinely understand you know the impact that this move would would have on the DMV area. Um, you know, whether you're a taxpayer and you and you don't want your own money being you know, paid towards something like like an arena that you don't necessarily want it to go towards, whether you think, you know, this is vital to keeping, you know, crime rates down in D.C. You know, I've, I've read, you know, try to every angle to try to educate myself as someone who's not too familiar with this move, you know, not being from the DMV. Um, and I obviously have settled on, you know, a couple of things. And you got one side that thinks this is a, a blatant money grab from Ted Leonsis. You know, obviously Ted's going to come out and say, it would, you know, get hundreds, you know, thousands of jobs for people in the Virginia area. It would, you know, be safer. It'd be all these things. And and Ted's gonna say that he's a businessman at the end of the day. Um, but he also has had his issues, and 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 he has issues with the fan base already. And I think with with Dan Snyder's exit and with Josh Harris coming in and really tearing it up with the Commanders thus far, all of the onus is on Ted now. And this is what I said when Josh Harris, you know, first bought the the Commanders. It's all on Ted. And Ted didn't have a great relationship with the fans to begin with. Um, so, you know, kind of being that scapegoat now and, and really having the limelight shined on all of his actions even more, I think it's starting to get a little hostile between – a little more hostile than, with, between him and the fan base. Um, and it, it all starts, you know, with just the little things, just, um, you know, the coverage of the Wizards as a whole. Um, you know, I, I want to be careful with what I say here because, you know – Monumental sports, the people that work there are awesome. I've gone to Wizards games. 
um, you know, I've covered them credentialed and I cover them just as a fan. Um, and every single person that I've interacted with that works for Monumental has been so kind and so gracious. So I want to make sure that, you know, whoever's listening understands it's not the people that work for Monumental. It's the concept of Monumental that fans that, that I think fans are kind of, you know, frustrated with and annoyed with. Fans don't want to be given propaganda. They don't want, you know, people to come on the post game show and talk about Jordan Poole getting 10 assists and him having a great game when Jordan Poole shot 0 of 5, scored zero points, was a minus on the game, and was overall horrible. You know, I, I, I look at the Lakers, you know, Spectrum Net or whatever it's called, um, with James Worthy, who I think is like one of the main guys there. He goes in on the Lakers all the time. Every time they're bad, every time they, you know, lose a game they shouldn't, he's going in. He's giving good analysis. Like, why is LeBron not here in this coverage? Why are these guys, you know, slacking off on defense? That's the, the coverage I feel like Wizards fans want. And and to be given these, you know, propagandistic, you know, well, the Wizards are actually, you know, doing surprisingly well defensively. No, they're 9-44. and 44. They can't defend a parked car. They're not good. And I think fans don't. I think fans would would be con- perfectly content hearing that. They don't need you to sugarcoat it. They don't need you to be condescending and talk down to them on the on the you know pre and post game as if you know they're stupid and they don't know what's going on. They know what the record is. They know this is a rebuilding year. I feel like if you offered you know analysis from the great analysts you have on there to just give their genuine takes, to give their takes on you know why the defense is so bad and and why the team is struggling. That's that's the authentic coverage that fans want. And for Ted to create this monopoly over the media in, in, in Washington sports, nobody likes that. No no fan enjoys watching, you know, them spoon feeding, you know, propagandistic, you know, knowledge to them as if they don't understand the team is nine and forty four, as if they're blind to the fact that the team sucks. Just give them real, real coverage, authentic coverage, and, and that's what they want. And, and it's another element of Ted trying to take over, trying to silence outside noise. Um, and, I mean, you saw it with Neil DeLaw. You saw Neil DeLaw get his credentials revoked because he posted a picture of a poster with Tyus Jones out of the out of the uh, starting lineup um, and Corey Kispert inserted um, into that group with the starting five and made a simple comment like, oh, what does this mean? And they revoked his credentials. You know, it's clear what, the, what, what they're trying to do. And, and I feel bad because – like I said, people that work there are, the, are actually greatest. But, you know, the vision that Ted has for Monumental to, you know, create this monopoly over Washington sports and silence, you know, all the, you know, the outside noise and silence the critics and all that. It's not working and it's not going well with the Washington, you know, sports fan base. And I think over time, you know, these things are going to pile up, you know, the Monumental Network getting on people's nerves in terms of how they're covering the team. Uh, you know, the the move to Virginia, all of these things are going to really start to, to build up for Ted. And now that he's in the limelight, it's going to be pretty difficult, you know, for him to avoid it as long as he's he's done. Because, you know, Dan Snyder's not there to, to you know, eat up all the scrutiny. He He's in the limelight now. And I think, you know, he's got to he's got to show the fan base, you know, who he really is. And I I mean, from the from the most part, fans think that he is doing that by this by, you know, taking this money grab type of move to move the team from Washington to Virginia passing it off as, you know, a, a plan to create jobs and all that. But I think people are, are starting to call his bluff and, and kind of just see what this is at face value, which is a, a money grab and, and a move that, you know, is really for, I guess, himself. And and look, I'm just, like I said, I have no knowledge on the situation. I'm kind of just feeding you 
every comment that I've gone from posting, you know, updates on this. So, you know, if you're going to be mad at my takes here, I'm kind of relaying information I've gotten from other people. I mentioned at the beginning, I'm not too knowledgeable on this. So again, you don't have to be too mad at my takes here. You can disagree, but I'm just trying to, you know, provide a general sense of what's, you know, the vibe and the, and the feeling around, you know, Wizards fans and DMV area residents about the move from the possible move from, from Washington to Virginia. So, you know, that's kind of the update there on that, on that whole process. And, and just kind of my thoughts on that. So, you know, to recap, we talked about, we talked about a couple of things. We talked about the Wizards losing, you know, seven straight games. Brian Keith, although he's two and eight in 10 games, you know, having this team locked in defensively, you know, Danny's unlocked, Bilal's been unlocked, Corey's getting more minutes, and they're just playing, you know, way more competitive against some of the best teams. We talked about Poole struggling, shot one of 12 against the Mavs last game. Has been a struggle all season, you know. Do we move him to the, to, to the bench as a six-man? You know, I think that might be the best, you know, the best move for now, but, you know, I guess we'll reassess out of the deadline. Again, the athletic article that Josh Robbins wrote about the Kuzma trade deadline situation, almost being traded to the Mavs and then saying he wants to stay in D.C., Go to theathletic.com. I would definitely read Josh's article and also, you know, finish with that that move to Virginia. So again, let me know your thoughts. If you're, you know, pro move to Virginia, if you're against the move to Virginia, it looks like, you know, it's kind of moving towards not happening from what I've seen. Obviously, legislation takes a while. It's a drawn out process. So take what I'm saying at face value. Everything could change and update in the, you know, the span of a day, a week, a month. So Again, take it at face value, but, you know, that's going to do it for this episode um, of the podcast. And and appreciate you all for listening, as always, and hope you enjoyed. So that's going to do it. Uh, go Wiz.